Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillervillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. I'm just uh, thrilled when I'm in sync with what's going on because uh, Mike uh, picked music that was just right in sync with what I wanted to share with you today as well, and I just believe that's God's working. And uh, the encouragement he wants to give us today. We've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians and working through this book chapter by chapter up to chapter 7, if you're marking up your Bibles, which you surely can do. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be working our way down. Uh, Last week, uh, we looked at uh, hedonism and all that entailed, and today we're going to continue in our study and looking at what the Greeks were struggling with. And we're looking at what the Greeks are struggling with because that's what you're struggling with. Because for the most part, you're Greek, believe it or not. And most of you are Greek in your thinking because you've inherited a Western society and Greek thinking. But we are reading basically a Hebrew book, which is very different. And Paul gives some great advice to us as a church and as a people so we can uh, learn to navigate this difficult world. And one of the difficult things we have to navigate is passion. Passion. And are any of you passionate people? Depends. Yes. <laughs> Good. So we're often passionate about many things. And some of us are passionate about food. And if you are, we call you a foodie. Some of us are passionate about sports. We have gold medal winners in our congregation and internationally around athletes. And we we are passionate about uh, quilting, believe it or not. I hear we were very passionate about quilting. But uh, you may have other strange, and I don't want to hear all your passions this morning, but we have many passions. And passion is a good thing. Would you agree? To have a passion for something, a drive for something. We are passionate people and we want and we desire all kinds of good things in our life and we're seeking them all the time. And our emotions, they run deep in our life and we just, they ebb and flow and we wonder what we should do with them. And if you ever watch this series Heartland, it's, sometimes it ends up like a soap opera with all the different passions that come on in their life and they just don't know what they really want. Well, God made us with strong emotions, and he made you with very strong desires in your life. And they help to exist, to help you to achieve great things. That's what passions are for. And you can achieve great things with these passions, and you can grasp at greater things than you could ever uh, realize and achieve in your life. But there is a problem with passion, and is that passion... Uh, very rarely gets us to our great goals, they often get us in trouble. I have a passion for cream puffs, and that will get me into great trouble. I got passion for other things, and they can just have passions ever run away with you, this great feelings and emotions, and it just takes you on a tide in a direction, and you thought, I didn't mean to go that far, and before you know it, you finished off the whole box of cream puffs, and they're all gone but they just tasted so good. 
How many Tims, little Tims, are too many? Just one? You know, I ordered 20 for the road, and I figured that'll get me a half hour down the road. It won't get me too far. My dad came down to visit us in Medford, Oregon, and he drove all the way down from Camrose, Alberta one year, and he came to a place called uh, Harry and David, and Harry and David makes these uh, confectionaries, they're uh, chocolate-covered truffles, and they sell them at the outlet store in big bins like this, and he bought one of those, put them in a pickup truck beside him, and from Medford all the way back to Camrose, he polished off that great big container. You know, you can get a little carried away with your passions from time to time, right? We all do. Passions just can take control of our lives, and sometimes we lose control of our lives through our passions. And having a passion is, uh, can, and losing control can be very tricky. It's a wild ride we all have experienced. We have been thrown from the horse, you could say, of passion more than once. Today in chapter 7, we're going to explore this idea of what to do with passions whether it's sexual passions or money or achievements or spiritual, and how we navigate around these passions so that they actually move us forward rather than crash us into some wall someplace. There's some very good advice we can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but we can be confused because this advice is directed at a very specific situation and place in history with a very specific kind of people. And yet the principles that are in this passage are universal and apply to us today. And I hope that I can make it clear to you by the end of this message. Our guide through the currents of this passage that we're going to be at is a verse I want you to keep in mind. And it comes from Matthew 6, 24. And this is from an instruction from Jesus Christ. So keep this in your mind as we look at this passage. And Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question we'll be asking on this journey through our desire is, who are we serving passionately? Who are you serving passionately? The answer to that question will determine whether we're heading for a disaster or for better things in our life. So we're going to grab our paddles and we're going to launch into the river of God's word as we look at chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we're going to start at verse 1. No, now, for the matter you wrote about. So he's addressing the Corinthians and he says, Now you wrote to me about the matter, and this is the matter they wrote Paul about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relationship, relations with a woman. I don't know who would state that, but that's the matter they address to Paul. And then Paul says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to the husband. 
In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields to his wife. Do not deprive each other, perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again, uh, so that Satan will not tempt you because you lack self-control. I say this is a concession. It's not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has a gift and another has that. This whole chapter 7 of Paul's response to the issue that they raised is to the Corinthian church, and they are recent converts to Christianity from paganism. They're Greeks, basically, worshiping the Greek gods in a variety of forms. And they came into the Christian faith with that worldview and that understanding. And when they step into the faith and the commitment to Jesus Christ, some of that old worldview is hanging on. There were some very practical matters and different from our uh, other congregations that Paul addressed. And Paul is very careful to point out that much of the specific advice that he's giving to the Corinthians here is just advice and it's not a command from God directly. So we must be very careful as we read this passage not to make too many claims, all right, about what God is saying to us from this passage. Yet, Paul is using a Christ centered truth in this passage as he navigates the very tricky currents of our passions. Last time in chapter 6, if you remember that, I talked to you about hedonism. Do you remember that? So hedonism is a Greek idea that the highest good was pleasure. So if you could satisfy your body and finish off a whole box of cream puffs, that's hedonism. Just enjoy life. That's the best anyone could really hope for in their life. And now that we go into chapter 7, we're going to the opposite end of the spectrum, to the Stoic. So both existed in the Greek culture. There was the guy that thought, just enjoy life and uh, have as much pleasure as you can. And on the other side was a group called the Stoics. And they said, no, one needs to be disciplined and self-controlled. I think this is where Germans began. And, and you've got to have everything locked down and no laughter, and you've got to work really hard and do everything by the rules and be, uh, keep everything under self-control. And this church that Paul is writing to in Corinth had both parties in it. Could you imagine? On one side of the church is, girls just want to have fun, <laughs> right? And on the other side, it starts Trek, and all they're dressing up like Spock with pointy ears, and everything's rational, and re you don't do anything emotional, you just shut it all down. And between these two extremes, this church is trying to figure out how to be Christians and what to do with passions. Pretty tricky congregation to address and to bring on. The most, uh, the hedonists and the Stoics are the, these two extremes in the Greek culture, and they would often clash with each other. And I want you to think of this as a river. And a river flows down a stream or the path of leaf resistance as it flows down a river valley. And on either side of that, uh, you have rocks and uh, things that can put you in danger. 
And I learned to canoe a long time ago when I was a young man. And uh, I was taken out to uh, the North Saskatchewan River, right below Bighorn Dam. And we would let out and uh, canoe all the way down to Rocky Mountain House. And we would shoot Riley's Rapids and terrible places. It seems like every river I know has a place called Devil's Elbow or Hell's Gate or something like that. It's a f class five rapids or something like that. So we had to get, do a lot of training knowing the devil's elbows coming up. And, and since then, I've shot those, that river many times. But we learned how to navigate uh, the river. And one of the things we've learned is the dangers of the river and how to get through it safely with your canoe. And one of them is to head for the deep water, or in other words, the dark water. The part of the river that is the deepest is the darkest. So you don't go for the light water, you go for the dark water. And you have to aim for it because it's always moving. Rivers aren't straight lines, are they? They move about. So you head for the dark water, you go into the middle of the river, and you let the current take you down the river, but you're constantly steering with your paddle as you go through it. There are dangers that they tell us before we get into the river. Along the banks and the side of the river, there are things called sweepers. And sweepers are where you've got trees that are growing on the bank, and they start leaning out over the river. And if you're too close to the, the bank, you're going to get swept out of your canoe. So you don't want too close to the side of the bank. You want to stay to the middle of the river and to the dark water. Life is a lot like going down a river. You are, there is the left and there is the right bank. And you could go far left, you can go far right, or you can head for the middle of the river. There was a famous theologian many years ago that coined the phrase, the uh, middle, uh, staying in the middle of the river, staying in the flow of where God is. And that's in the middle of the river. God is in all the rivers, to the left and the right and the middle, but the main flow of the Holy Spirit is always in the middle of the river, where it's deepest, and the flow is strongest. That's where it takes you the furthest. But some of us tend to pay ten, too much attention to the scenery, and we start drifting to the left or to the right. And understand what a passion and, light, and life is, and what rivers are like, is rivers will always force you to a bank. Did you know that? The, the river doesn't want you in the middle. Nothing is ever lost in a river. It will always show up on the bank someplace. Whether it's your fishing line or your body, it will wash up on the shore sooner or later. It will be found. So nothing likes to stay in the middle. So it is always forced aside, so you're always forcing yourself and trying to steer and always trying to stay in the middle where the strongest of the current is. On the one side for the hedonists, on the other side you have the Stoics. In the middle you have where Christ wants you to be. And it's a tricky thing to be there. You often hear people say, are you left or are you right in politics, right? And actually, it's all wrong. There is no left or right. It's either up or down. It's not left or right. If you're wrong, it doesn't matter if you're left or right. <laughs> you're down one way or the other, right? It's better to be in the middle, in the flow of God's spirit, than rather than be to the extremes. And I often found this in uh, theology and everything else, is to avoid the extremes. 
Paul is doing this here too. He gets this message. He's, it's not really a question. He's given this statement. It is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. And this is the statement. It's not a question. He said, this is what we hold to. This is what we believe. And Paul, I can just say, oh boy, here we go. You know, they're stuck on one side of the river. They're too extreme, but they're on the opposite side of the hedonist where they're stuck in pleasure-seeking and they don't have any balance in what they're doing. So he addresses this issue and he says, for the most part, this is not going to work for you if you do with that. He says, you should submit unto one another, the husband and the wife. And the point he makes is that rather than no sexual relationships or just having all the sexual relations you want, he says sexuality is for marriage. That's where it is. And sexuality is not about you seeking pleasure. Sexuality is about your partnership within a marriage relationship before God. And it's about self-control. One of the things you do with canoe and a paddle is you learn self-control and how to navigate it. And the best canoeists know how to do it. Even when you get into the middle of the river, it's not always safe because there are things called rapids and boulders and things like that that you have to navigate around. You can uh, have a lot of fun in the middle of the river if you're skilled and you know what to do. One of the fun things we ever learned to do was how to uh, get behind a big boulder in the middle of the river where the current is strongest and you can uh, flip your canoe behind that, park there right in the middle of the current in the back eddy, and then uh, flip right on out again into the strong current. And you do that by doing a high brace. Anybody know what a high brace is? So the guy in the front of the canoe takes his paddle. On the right side, he, uh, he lifts his paddle up way high. And when they pass the boulder, the, boulder, the current will come back towards the boulder. Did you know that? And well, that's what we call a back eddy. And the job of the guy up front is to reach out his paddle and dig it into that back current of that back eddy and hold it there while the guy in the back is swinging the, the canoe around all the way around in a sharp turn. And you just flip right in there if everybody's doing their thing right at the right time and you can sit right in a raging river behind that little back eddy. And then you go back out again in the same way. You catch the current and you're back out again. It isn't that your canoe is doing a whole lot on its own because it doesn't have wheels, it doesn't have a motor, it doesn't have anything. It completely relies on the current of the river and the skill of the canoeist with their paddle. We are on a passionate journey as Christians, my friends. We're flowing in the passion of Jesus Christ and his love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ came into this world of a passion to save the sick, to save those who were dying, those in great need. He came out of that passion and that desire to deliver us. And that's what drove him here. And that's what brought him into this world. And it's important for us to recognize that that same passion wants to carry us along as well. What Paul does here in this passage is he's always talking about navigating the many currents of the world. He goes to the middle of that river where the dark water runs deep and fast. He avoids the banks to the left and to the right, and he doesn't get hung up on rocks. The main skill we need with our paddle and with our life as we navigate our passions in the water and as we deal with what we call self-control is to be in self-control and service to God. 
We can serve Christ when we serve others out of a God-inspired, passionate love. And the way we do that, we high brace into it, is found in Matthew 25, verse 40. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He's sharing that. He says that the last days, when he's separating the sheep and goats, he's saying, when you did that, you did it for me. And then he says in Galatians 5, 13 to 14, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather, than, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the middle of the river. The heinous are self-service, taking, giving their pleasure. The Stoics are over there, and they're all about uh, shutting everything down and being Stoic and taking life as it comes. But in the middle of the river, of all that passion, is the passion and the love of God, where we find ourselves in service to Jesus Christ. And it's very important. When I started out in ministry, I was a people pleaser, and I wanted to make people happy. And I realized I was sinning. Did you know that? If you're a people pleaser, you're a sinner. And I had to confess that to God, because I came across a section in the Bible that says, my goal should be to please God above all other things. Not you, but God, right? So... It really doesn't matter. I, I've suddenly realized, oh my goodness, I've put people ahead of God. I need to serve God first above all things. Well, how do I do that? And that's how you taught me this wisdom of staying into the middle. And that's where you serve one another humbly in love. Then I've done that in a way as to the Lord. So when I serve others, I do it in order to serve Christ. And this is how we get to the deep water, where we don't just ask, what do I want? But we ask, what does God's passionate love asks of us and demands of us? And that is why sex is for marriage, where the husband and wife serve one another, wanting what is best for the other in all things. I get a, around the February 14th, we talk about love and uh, I'd listen to uh, soap operas my wife might watch on TV, and uh, I uh, hear those songs on the radio talking about love, and I just cringe all the time because the definition of what we go by love is so pathetic compared to how God defines love. Do you know what uh, a good biblical definition of love is from the Word of God? And the scriptures are clear that we would not know what it was unless Christ had come for us and died on the cross for us. We wouldn't know what love was except for that revelation. And this is what uh, one of the great summaries of what I think uh, the Bible says is love. Wanting what is best for another person. Wanting what is best for another person. Now if I told you uh, you want what is best for me, right? Because you love me. And what is best for me is for all of you to go out and buy a Costco-level cream puff carton 
Because that's what I'm passionate about. So, and, and some of you are going to go do it. And I want to let you know, if you do that, you really don't love me. Because <laughs> that's not love. How do we know what is best for another person? Do we go to them and say, what is it you want? Because I've also learned, uh, looking at my own life and watching other people, most people don't know what is best for them. Would you agree? Most of us don't know. So if I'm going to serve well, if I'm going to navigate all these passions and everything else, I better know what is the best course. Where is the deep water? And the scriptures are clear on this. What is best for any person is the will of God in their life. The will of God in their life. Whether they want it or not, that's the best thing for them. Are there people you're praying for that don't know the Lord and you're just thinking, oh, if they would just come to know the Lord, their life would be so much better. Are there people that you're praying for like that? And they, and they don't think that's what they need, but you know that's what they need. And you're praying for that and you're seeking the Lord for that because you know that's what is best for them. Love is wanting what is best for another person. And that is always God's will in their life. We're going to go down to verse 17 and pick it up at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not be uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. You were bought at a price. Do not become a slave of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. If you're new to the river of God's passionate love, and you just don't want to drift along. Uh, after uh, growing up here in Canada and running around on the Rockies and canoeing the North Saskatchewan River, Sandra and I moved down to Oregon, and they got rivers and mountains down there too. But they like these rubber dinghy thingies. <laughs> They're not canoes. And, and they inflate these things, and you can't tip them if you tried. And they jump in there and they throw in their food and they just sort of lay back and sometimes put on a life jacket. They're not really navigating a river, they're just drifting. And guess what? They're always ending up on the rocks, right? Or in a sandbar or a rock bar. But they, and then they get out and they push their raft out in the middle. It's just pathetic. When I, <laughs> I'm just so sad to see it. Canoeing is where it's really all about. Life isn't just about drifting and thinking that I've got a sink-proof life and it really doesn't matter anymore. That's no way to enter into the passion of God's love, just to rely on the grace that God is giving you. 
you want to attack that river and flow with it in the deep water. Each person, Paul says, should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. Paul recognizes that when we turn our lives over to Jesus Christ and we receive the gift of being born again, we start our faith journey hung up on the bank. I don't know if you know what it's like to be in a fiberglass canoe and to run onto the rocks. It is the worst sound in all the world, just the scraping on the outside of that. And you say, oh, you know, I borrowed this thing and I just ran it aground. And and Paul knows what that's like when you get stuck and the current is strong. It's hard to get out and try to get on the right, because you know that canoe could get away on you while you're trying to straighten out and then you're in the water and who knows. Paul knew that when people began their Christ journey, some of them were slaves, they were poor, there was rich, they were married, they were unmarried, there was Jews and Gentiles and pagans, all sinners, all of them on the rocks one way or the other in their life. And every new believer in Christ begins this way from the shore, from one extreme or the another in their life. But you've got to figure out how do you begin where you are? Paul doesn't say just jump in the river. He says, begin where you are. Don't try to think, how do I get out of this situation I'm in or the commitments I have made or the places where I have found myself trapped. Just begin where you are. The story has been told a million times over of people beginning where they are. And it's been told over thousands of years in every culture Every period of history recorded to man. God takes a life surrendered to him and he begins where he finds them. He finds Moses in Egypt, born to an oppressed people, and he lifts him by grace to lead a nation of God's people into the promised land. He finds Joseph in a pit dug by his murderous brothers And he lifts them to the highest office in the land to deliver his family from destruction and death. He finds David, a young man, just sitting and watching his father's sheep and makes him one of the greatest kings of all Israel and one of the ones that brought about the line and the heritage of Jesus Christ. He finds Martin Luther and before the Great Reformation, just one struggling, guilt-laden monk in Germany, and he begins the single largest reformation in the history of the church. He finds Chuck Colson, a struggling guilt man and sentenced to prison after the Watergate sentencing, unsaved, doesn't know the Lord. He is saved. He comes to the Lord in prison. He starts a ministry where he is called Prison Ministries that is now all over the face of the earth, and he became one of the most significant prophet, prophetic voices of our time. I could go on and on and on. That all these people began on the rocks, on the shore, wherever they were when they found Jesus Christ, in a bad, stinking, awful place. They begin where they are and they look for God to show up, to lift them off the rocks that hold them back into the flow of the Holy Spirit.
The thing about it is you can begin with your faith and you can begin with your skill where, okay, I'm passionate for doing God's will. I want to get into the river, but I'm hung up on the rocks. How do I begin? Where you begin is you call out to God. You lift your voice and you say, Lord, I'm stuck here in a situation that's awful and I don't like it, but I'm going to begin where I am. And I'm asking you, Lord, to lift me off these rocks. You begin with a prayer like that. And then the water comes and it lifts your canoe up and off the rocks you come. And then when you get moving, you aim for the deep, dark water of God's will. It is important to wait on the Lord when you're on the rocks. And when you start out, you're on the rocks, but that won't be the last time you're on the rocks. I've learned a thing about canoeing is no one really stays in the river all the time you eventually wipe out, and that's part of the fun of it, really. And that's why people shoot rapids and so on, is so that they can wipe out once in a while and get dumped in the water. You empty out your canoe, you start again, and go at it again, and you keep trying until you get it down. But every stretch of the river is different. Every set of rapids is different from the other set of rapids. And isn't that true in your life when you come into trouble? It, you can't just rest on what you learned at the last stretch of the river because the one before you is a completely different stretch of the river. And I've been down the North Saskatchewan more than once and I found from year to year it's a different river. Depending what got washed downstream from the logs and rocks, <laughs> you, you always have to be alert on guard. You've got to relearn the river over and over again. And you do end up on the rocks. But I look to the Lord to lift me up to get me off the rocks when I get stuck. And I can't put it any other way than God has to show up. There's nothing you can really do. Chuck Colson wasn't going to get himself out of prison. Joseph was not going to get himself out of the pit. He was good as gone. But the Lord shows up. He always shows up. His flood comes and his spirit picks us up. And the point is, is when that moment comes, head for the middle of the river where it starts running and flowing again. Paul goes on to reveal that it's good to begin where you are so that God can lift you off the rocks, but also because we're in a crisis and time is running out. Verse 26, because of the present crisis, he says, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, and those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, and those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, and those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concerns, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are often divided. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, it's, scholars are telling us that uh, Paul was probably married at one point. We don't know what happened to his wife. We're thinking she may have passed away. 
But to be a rabbi and a scholar as he was, it was well, and part of the Sanhedrin, pretty much a sure thing that he was married. And as he gives this advice, it isn't that he's for or against marriage. What he's concerned about is we're in a crisis. If you were in China right now, at the center of a virus outbreak, would that be a good time to have a wedding? This would be a lousy time to have a wedding. Why? Because we're in a crisis. And in fact, getting everyone to her wedding might just spread the virus and makes us all very sick and ill. So maybe that's not the time to get married. And the time is short. Paul truly believed that they were in a major crisis. And there are two forms of the crisis. They were in a time when the church was just spreading rapidly throughout the Mediterranean world and the Roman Empire. And in the city of Corinth, where the word of God was taking hold, it was spreading. But you know what happens when the word of God and people are passionate for the things of God and they're in the full flow of that spirit and in the word of God and the deep water? It creates opposition. People want to shut it down. And that creates its own crisis. Paul knew what it was to be beaten up and scoffed and people trying to kill him and arrest him and throw him in jail and do all these things. And he says, this is a rough time to be that kind of Christian and to be married. But he's not against marriage. Marriage is a good thing. And I'm glad for that because I happen to be married. So I thought that's a good thing. I warned my wife when uh, I proposed to her. She wasn't my wife when I proposed to her. But I warned her. I said, Sandra, he said, uh, I'm going to be a pastor. And Sandra went to Bible college where I attended with one goal in mind, never to marry a pastor. Talk about passions. And uh, I had a, my job cut out for me, but I, she was very cute, and, I, and she still is. And uh, my uh, passion for her was growing all the time. And the Lord put us together. But we, one of the things I loved about Sandra was her ability to argue with me. Because I found most people were not in my league and were too easily persuaded. But when I found this German girl from southern Manitoba, she could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with me and stare me down. I thought, oh, I like this girl. She's strong. Because the person you want in the canoe with you, you want skilled and a strong will. Because you can't do high braces on your own. You'll get into trouble. It takes two to handle a strong current, on the back and on the front end. And you get tired if you try it all on your own. All on your own, you've got to sort of sit in the middle of the canoe, where, and you've lost your balance, and it's a little more tricky and tippy. But if you can partner up with someone, I would highly recommend it. But what's happening with Paul is that people were getting saved that were already married, and they weren't in agreement one would still be in the paganistic Greek worldview and the other one would give their heart to Jesus Christ. And you, can you imagine paddling in opposite directions and what that's going to do? You're going to wreck. You have, you have divided attentions and loyalties. Remember the guiding verse we started out with, you can't serve two masters. You serve one. You're going to learn to hate one and love the other. And in a divided house, this is what was happening. 
When Sandra and I finally, after our many fights and arguments and after our breaking up three or four times and getting back together again, we got together after prayer and we sat down and pounded out a premarital agreement and uh, about how we would behave and so on. And we navigated that river together. And she's been a great partner that has steered me in this world. When I uh, graduated from seminary, I wanted to take the safe route because I had a wife to take care of and I wanted to be responsible for her and I wanted to pay for my uh, school bills that had incurred in a responsible, stoic way. And there were churches looking at me that were significant churches with good paying salaries. And then there was this crazy idea of church planting in Bragg Creek, Alberta. Uh, with very questionable income and so on. And I said, well, honey, I think we better take the stable choice. And she looked at me and she said, if it weren't for the money, which would you do? Oh, Brad Creek in a heartbeat. And I said, let's do it. If you've got a partner with you that's of one mind, you head for the deep water, right? Where this current is strong and it changes everything. So when uh, Sandra had cancer and we were told that we were going to bankrupt, we left the bank again, we let everything go, and we headed for the deep water of God's will. Guess where it brought us? Right to your doorstep. And we're still in the flow of what God is doing and where he is taking us. But the time is short, and we are in a crisis. You can look around you, and uh, Cheryl Brown listed uh, several crises in our world. Is there a crisis all around you all the time? And if you think you're okay, someone will tell you about a crisis or make one up for you and help you get worried about it and then get you to donate money to it. <laughs> but this isn't the crisis that Paul was talking about. This is the crisis of a limited time that we have on this earth. Paul really believed in his age that the Lord would return before he died. And a lot of the apostles believed the same thing. They were always, wherever they went, watching the skies because they really believed that Jesus Christ would show up at any time. These were the same guys who saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. They witnessed it. They saw him. They touched him. They talked to him. So it wasn't a stretch of the imagination to think that he could pop up again. These were the people that walked down the Emmaus Road having a chat, and suddenly there's Christ standing right next to them, chatting with them. That kind of makes you vigilant, doesn't it? Where will he show up next? At any moment, at any time. He says the time is short. It could be any time now. He's just around the corner. It could happen at any moment, and then the judgment will come. And why is that a crisis? Because we only have this moment to get our lives in right with the Lord to help others that we love come to know the Lord and to come into that faith. It is a crisis, a crisis of time and faith where people are hung up on the banks going nowheres when there is no time to waste. The time is short. But we also in a crisis because we are trying to navigate through a difficult world when you're in the middle of the river there isn't a whole lot of time to sit back and to contemplate philosophy. You have to make quick decisions. There isn't a lot of time to argue about, should we go left, should we go right? I don't know. The left looks kind of nice. The right looks kind of nice. 
No, you just make a decision and you go for it because you've got to be in the flow of God's will if you're not going to rack your canoe on a boulder someplace. Part of that is letting go of all the things that we are concerned about to put God first in our life, to be partnered up with someone who loves the Lord as well. And then to look for the Lord to lift us up off the rocks that we find ourselves grinding our canoes on every once in a while. If our interests are divided, we're going to get into more trouble. We've got to live in a right way, in an undivided devotion to the Lord, it says. We can become free of concern about this world when we step into the strong current of life. We can know what it is when Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was there, he, he was dealing with God's will, saying, I want you to get, be arrested, and I want you to go all the way to the cross and be nailed there. And Christ, as he looked at what was ahead of him in the deep water of God's will, he knew what it was, and he said, is there another way? Nevertheless, thy will be done. It was the passion of God's love for you that sent Christ into that deep water. And it was a crisis moment for him too in the Garden of Gethsemane as he sweated blood drops over this. And yet he resolved, I will stay to that current. I will fall through. And the water took him, the will of God, right all the way to stand trial. It lifted him and took him all the way to the cross where he was nailed, it took him to the grave where his body was laid. And it took him to Easter Sunday when he was raised. And it took him to ascension when he was raised to the right hand of the Father where he stands today. The same current will take you into serious trouble and take you right on through it too. Whatever it might be in your life. But God, Jesus Christ went for the deep dark water of God's will. Jesus can lift you off the rocks that hold you back. There's no safety on the shore of this river. There's only death and despair. Our, God is in the, our hope is in the river of God's will, in the depth of God's word, in the current of his truth. Our escape is before us. It's not drifting along, but navigating this dangerous river around boulders and trees and heading for the deep, dark water of his will for our lives. Do you need to be lifted off uh, rocks you grinding yourself on? Are you stuck? Well, Jesus Christ can lift you off those rocks and launch you into the river of his will, of his grace. He's, he has lifted millions. He can lift you today if you will begin where you are and let Jesus Christ do that. The time is very short. The world that holds us back on the rocks is passing away. And a new world is coming. Today is the day to head to the deep, dark water of God's will for your life. And what we need to do is ask Jesus Christ to forgive, to lift, and to flow into our lives today. At the end of this service, I'm going to be up front. And if you need prayer to get off the rocks, to be lifted up, I've been there too, and I know what that is. But I do believe that God will show up if we pray for one another, if we lift each other up.
and that he'll get you off that rocks. And when he does that, head for the deep, dark water of his will. Would you do that? What I would recommend for every household here is go get a paddle, and then on it right, head for the dark water, and put it on your wall (laughs) to remember to be in the center of God's will and not on the fringes of it. Go where the current is strong. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the power and the strength of your love that brought Jesus Christ here to earth, that allowed him to share his life with us from childhood on. In all the miracles he performed and all that he had taught and revealed, we thank you for his sacrifice upon the cross that won us our salvation and the opportunity to be a children of God. We thank you for the glory of the resurrection and for the ascension of the heaven that he stands at the right hand of the Father, for he shows us and has charted for us what the river looks like. And Lord, we would follow that Lord too. We would navigate the same passion of this love of God, that we would go where no reasonable person would go because we are following that passionate love of God that would not see one person lost, not one person prevented from coming to the kingdom of God because they were not given the chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, there is no sacrifice so great in that passionate love that you have for these people, Lord, that we could ever make. We pray that this morning, Lord, that those that are stuck on the rocks would not linger there long, but just long enough to trust in the flood of your love to lift them off and into the flow of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you want to do that today. And Lord, I pray that you would go with us as we leave this place, with every person here, that the praise of the Lord would be quick to our lips, the encouragement of the Lord for others would be in our arms and our hands and that we would care and love for people as if we were caring and ministering to Jesus Christ himself. In all this we commit unto you by the grace of our Lord and by the power of your Holy Spirit to flow in us. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.